you have a place that you can go away to kind of get it away from everything and, and maybe take some time, a moment or two, to, to kind of focus on what you would hope that the Lord would want to reveal yourself to you, reveal himself to you about himself, uh, that special place, um, to recharge your batteries, get away from the pressures of life. I, I hope that you do. Um, for me, when it's, when it's nice and it's pleasant, I, I like to just go out and sit on the front porch and there's a chair out there and it's just awful quiet and you know, I'm able to take my Bible, maybe a cup of coffee, and just to rest and recharge my batteries. I, I hope that you would have that. Um, in 1956, there was an environmentalist by the name of Sigurd Olson, and he built a small cabin on the banks of the lake in northern, Minis uh, northern Minnesota. And evidently, when you build a cabin, you kind of name it. You have a significant name. And uh, most of the names are somewhat predictable, evidently, up in that area. But Olson wanted to be a little bit more creative. He wanted to be a little bit more intentional about naming his cabin. His objective in building the cabin was this, to hear all that was worth listening for. That's the reason he bought it. I want to hear all that is worth listening for. So he named it Listening Point. That was the name of his cabin. Being out in nature helped him to connect with what he felt with was the really, really important things in life. And I remember a woman by the name of Susan, Susanna Wesley, raised 17 children in a small, uh, very, very small home. So solitude with all the children was very hard for her to come by. I would imagine there's a lot of moms out there that could identify with that. Her listening point in the midst of all of those children was a rocking chair in the middle. And what she would do is when life got difficult and challenged, she would cover herself with kind of like a blanket, and that became her tent of meaning. That became her place. Her son, John Wesley, learned from her, and when he would go into his room and pray, he would kneel by the bed to pray. And we all know who John Wesley ended up being. Thomas Edison had a thinking chair. Alexander Graham Bell had a dreaming place overlooking the Grand River. Henry David Thoreau, we learned about him, what skipped stones on Walden Pond. Beethoven, it's said about Beethoven that he sat at his desk until early afternoon, and then he took a stroll to reinvigorate his mind. And he carried with him a pencil and a few sheets of music paper in his pocket to record chance musical thoughts. Do you have that place, that opportunity? to pull away from life and pull away from the, the difficulties and the stresses of life, pull away to be by yourself and allow the Lord to speak to your mind and your heart about what's going on in your life, the difficulties and challenges. Do you have those times? We, we all need those times in our life. And the, and the reason I ask the question is because of our text this morning. Jesus has sent out the 12. He sent them out on a mission trip. And they come back and they report to him. And we don't know if Jesus looks upon their faces and says, wow, these guys look, look pretty worn out. They look like they've been pretty tasked in all the things that they've been doing. And what he wants to do is he wants to say, listen, guys, now I want you to do is I want you to follow me because I want to take you to a place of rest. I want to pull you away from all the multitudes. I want to pull away from all of the, the pressures of life. And I want to bring you to a place where you can recharge your batteries, if you will. That's what we're going to see this morning in our text. It's a familiar text, the feeding of the 5,000. It's a beautiful story. A beautiful narrative about, about the person of Jesus, his story, and how the person of Jesus, his story, interacts with our story. What, what, what might we learn from Jesus today? What might we learn from the creator of the world today on this beautiful day? Well, let me read our text. Mark chapter 6, verse, verse 30 says this. The apostles gathered around Jesus 
and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Guess what happens? But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it's late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and the villages, and they can buy themselves something to eat. Maybe they said that because their stomachs are growling. I don't see recorded in here when they were able to eat. Verse 37, but he answered, you give them something to eat. Oh, are you serious? But they said to him, this could take eight months of man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much money on bread and give it to them? Well, how many loaves do you have? He asked, go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. And Jesus directed, the, the, and then the, the, the crux of this, the beauty of this is in verse 39. Then Jesus directed them to sit to have all the people sit down in the groups on the green grass. Hmm. I wonder what that green grass would remind us of. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks, and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples, and then he gave them to the disciples, and he gave them to the disciples, and he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. And the number of the men who had eaten that day was 5,000. Man, what an awesome, what an awesome narrative. And Mark is just kind of telling us what's happened here in the life of Jesus and what's going on. And we have the, the great privilege of learning this morning. Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for your word that reveals so much in this passage about you, about your love and your care for the workers, the disciples, about your compassion for people, how your heart goes out for people. And Father, I, I pray that we would be reminded of that this morning. No, no matter what we're going through right now, no matter what we're experiencing, your heart goes out for us and you have compassion on where we would find ourselves today. And not only that, that you want to provide for us in a way that only you can provide. So, Father, we look to you this morning. We look to your word. We ask that you would reveal yourself to us in a powerful way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, what I want to do is, is before we get to our text, I, I just want to make a couple of observations. The first observation is this. That when you look at the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this feeding of the 5,000 is in all four of those Gospels. So immediately, we're kind of going, ding, 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 okay, this must matter. There must be something significant here because this is recorded in all the Gospels. The only other event recorded in all of the Gospels is the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So we have something unique here in the feeding of the 5,000. And I wonder if, as we walk through the story, we need to have ears to hear and eyes to see. Maybe there's something deeper going on in Jesus interacting with the people. Maybe there's some allusions to the Old Testament. Maybe Jesus is revealing something about his identity here to them. Because it's recorded in all four Gospels. The second thing we learn is this. And I realize you guys, most people don't care about things like this. I, I get that. But I want to tell you something about the structure of this. Because I think this is kind of cool. 
they call this theologians, the smart people, I'm not a smart person, but the smart people, they call this a sandwich. And this is what I mean. When you go back and look in chapter 6, in verses uh, like 7 to 13, Jesus sends the 12 out, right? He's going to send them out on this mission trip. That's the top. That's the bread. Well, immediately after that, what does Mark do? He goes to the, the death of John the Baptist. Why would he go from there to the death? Because he's going to do something in this text to teach us. He wants to show us something big and powerful. So you have the bread, you have the meat, John the Baptist. And now what does he do? Now he comes back to what? He comes back to the report. The disciples coming back to him. So we have this sandwich. Jesus sends the disciples out. He sends us out. The meat. John the Baptist. When you get sent out, sometimes people like John the Baptist are going to die. When you get sent out, sometimes you're going to face opposition. And then the bottom, the end of the bottom of the sandwich is this, that Jesus wants us to trust him for the provisions that he would give to us. That sometimes it's going to be hard, sometimes it's going to be difficult. And I think that's the way that Mark structures this, because he wants us to think about Jesus and who he is and the identity and what he would have for us. So I think there's three things we're going to be able to pull out this, maybe a, a couple of others. Three things that I want to focus on. Number one is this, the idea of rest. We're going to see that here. Second thing, the idea of, of Jesus' compassion for people. That even in the midst of difficulties and the hardships of life, Jesus still wants our hearts to go out to other people in need. And the last thing is this, that Jesus is going to provide in a miraculous, incredibly beautiful way. Because sometimes you're at the end of your rope. Sometimes you're at that place where you don't have the resources. And what we have to do is we have to trust that Jesus is going to give us those resources. So that's kind of where we're going to go. Number one, Jesus offers us rest. Look at verse 31. Come to me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Why do they need some rest? Well, when you look at the text, why would they need some rest? Well, what we know is that Jesus sent them out with a purpose, right? I want you to go out. I want you to cast out demons, free people who are in spiritual darkness. I want you to proclaim the express message of the gospel of the kingdom. Life, death, burial, resurrection. Call people to repent, to put their faith and trust. And I also want you to perform miracles. And that's what they did. They went out. And so now they're returning to Jesus and they're giving a ministry report. But what's interesting is when you look at all the gospel, and we have no idea how long this has been. Has this been five days, two days? Has it been a week? Has this been a month? We have no idea the length of time. All we have is this idea is they're coming back and giving a report to Jesus about all the different ministries that they've been a part of. And as they come back, maybe Jesus looks in their face and he looks in their eyes and goes, wow. Look at these guys. They went out with nothing. They were absolutely dependent upon people. They've been sharing the message. Some of them have been kicked out of towns. Maybe there's a sense of weariness going on, and, and he recognizes that. And, and by the way, Jesus recognizes the weariness of your soul. He knows exactly what's going on in your heart. He knows exactly the tension that you feel. A second thing that, that we need to see here is that the demands of the people, are they're real. Verse 31 says this, they were so busy that they didn't even have a chance to eat. Have you ever been in that place where you've been working? Maybe you're working at your job or doing something, and you're working so hard that you haven't had a chance to eat, and your stomach starts to growl, you kind of forget that you're eating? Well, that's kind of what's going on here. The needs of the people are so great that they didn't even have a chance to eat. And the demands of the people are so great that Jesus decides to get in a boat He's going to pull away from the crowds, if you will, and he's going to take them to a place of rest. He's going to take them to a place of solitude. 
In Luke's account of this, it says this, that when it was they, they got in a boat and they began to sail kind of to the western shore to the, to the area of Bethsaida. Bethsaida. And, and who lived in Bethsaida? Bethsaida? Peter and Andrew. And, and uh, they lived there. This is kind of their hometown. So they began to get in the water, get in this boat, and they began to travel across the shore. But if they began to travel, they're kind, of, they're kind of paralleling, if you will, the shore. And as they're paralleling the shore, the people are looking out and they're watching, they're going... Wait a minute, there's the, there's the boat. And, the, and so what do they, they begin to follow the boat. They begin to just walk along the shore to follow the boat because they want to get to the place where Jesus is going to be, where he's going to end up landing. They're getting there ahead of them. And as you get a picture in the text, the crowd begins to grow and grow as they begin to sail around, as they begin to go around, as people begin to come out from the villages. More and more people are at it. And by the way, by the time you get to verse 44, there are 5,000 people here. And when you look at the other narrative text, it says this. There were men and women there. 5,000 men, how many of them are married? I have no idea. Half of them, three quarters of them married, families, children. You probably have a gathering of some 15,000 plus people gathered on the shore watching Jesus, demanding certain things of not only Jesus, but of the people. So the demands of the people continue to grow. They just want to get something to eat. We need to fill our stomachs. There's something for us to learn here, and that's this. There's a principle here. I don't know about you. I don't know about your week. I don't know what's going on. You need rest. You need rest. We in and of ourselves do not have the capacity to do life apart from a relationship with God, apart from an intimate relationship with him, where he continues to infuse his word in us, where the spirit of God continues to infuse his life in us. You're not smart enough. You don't have all the answers. You need help. I need help. And what we need to do is we need to pull away from all that stuff. We need to recognize, we need to pull away from all of that stuff, that we don't have all the resources and say, God, man, I need your help. We need to consistently do that. Psalm 46, I think I quoted this or prayed it or something, I don't know, somewhere along the line it came today. Uh, Psalm 46 says this, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Verse 11, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is with us. He is our fortress. If you know anything about this psalm, you know that the psalm begins this way. What? God is our refuge, a very present help in what? Our time of trouble. And so by the time he gets to this verse, he's recognizing, I need to stop in the midst of life, and I need to give myself to him. And sometimes we just need to stop. Say, God, I need you. I need your help. Do you know how life is pushing and crowding us in so many ways? We have the demands of life. you realize that the phone that we have how easy it is to consume our life. You ever gone into a restaurant and see people sitting at a table and, and a couple of friends, and, and, and they're all on their phones and conversations are being locked. And, people, and, and right now, we walk around these phones and anytime there's a dead time, what do we do? We open it up and we begin to scroll through. I'm guilty, I am. We fill our minds and our hearts with all of this stuff. I actually saw a, an article in Time, uh, the, the media report Time last week. And the name of the article was this, Teen Girls Are Facing a Mental Health Crisis 
and we're doing nothing about it. And the article was written by a gal by the name of Jean M. Twin. She's a psychology professor at San Diego State University. And this is how she begins the article. It says this, teen girls are in crisis. In a just-released report, the Centers for Disease Control, CDC, found that nearly one in three high school girls considered suicide in 2021, a 60% increase since 2011. More girls also now report feeling so sad and hopeless that they couldn't engage in their normal activities for at least two weeks in the last year. That's shocking. It makes me sad. And as I went on to read the article, the article went on to say it's what has happened is these young girls are getting on the social media, they're getting on their phones, they're getting on all of the social media available to them, and they're reading all of these things, and they're allowing it to affect their emotional life. They're allowing it to affect the way that they view themselves. They're allowing it to affect their spiritual life. In other words, they have these things in front of them, and they are so consumed about it that it's actually affecting the way that they deal with life. And what we need to remember is this, that what God wants us to do is to come away and to rest in him and who he is. God is much more powerful than that. The spirit of God wants to speak to you. Jesus wants to hear from you. He wants to know we have a wealth of information. We have the beauty of the word of God that will speak to your very soul, if you will. Connor quoted Matthew chapter 11. Let me just read the verse. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 says this, Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and what? I will give you rest. I will give you rest. I can't promise you I can give you rest. But Jesus says, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for yourself. What is a yoke? A yoke is that wooden thing that you tether two animals together, right? You put two animals, why? So they could bear the burden together. Jesus wants us what? To be yoked up to him and to find all rest in him. And what does he say? For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus, I, I want to give you rest. And sometimes I think what we need to do is we need to be careful of what we're filling our minds with. Social media, TV, all of those kinds of things. That, and there, a lot of them are good things. But let's make sure that we don't allow those things to consume our life so that we don't have the opportunity to go sit with a cup of coffee in the quietness of the Lord. God, I need you today. I need wisdom for this situation. I need strength for the journey. I need help. And maybe some of you guys that are married, maybe you need help your wives. You know, if they're like Susanna Wesley and they got 17 kids, I don't think you've got 17 kids, but you may feel like you have 17 kids. Maybe you need to come alongside and help. Maybe we need to do that. And maybe we need to try and help people. But, but the Bible, Jesus says, listen, I want to give you rest. That's the first thing we learn in this text. Second thing is this. That even in the midst of life and the difficulties of Christ, sometimes we're stretched. Sometimes we're stretched. I, I wish that we could just go to the text and say, and Jesus took them away. And they had a great retreat. And they were singing. And they were shaking. And they were having bread together. And, and it just ended like that. No. The many retreats is disrupted. And sometimes in life, in the best intentions, we are interrupted. And, and, and we have to have the ability to trust the Lord to help us with the resources that we don't have. 
And so what does Jesus do in this situation? He sees compassion. He has compassion on the people. Look at verse 34. Remember, they've gone alongside. The, the people are coming out from the village. They're traveling along the shore. They're heading for the, the beach over here. Jesus is going to land. He's watching all the people come from all of the villages. And notice what it says about Jesus. When Jesus landed, he saw the crowd. And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So they began teaching them many things. What's interesting is this, that, like I said, they, they try and go away just for a few minutes. Wait to that solitary place to, to get some help, to get some rest. Their stomachs are growling. They need some things. And even Jesus can't get away. And I want, you, I want to point out something to you, and it's obvious, and, and you know it, but people are flocking to Jesus. They're flocking to Jesus. They're coming out of the villages. There could be 15,000 plus people there, and they want an audience with Jesus. Why? Because he is so great, and he's so wonderful, and he's so powerful. And sometimes I can't find five minutes of the day to spend with him. It doesn't make sense, does it? Shouldn't I be clamoring and running to want to spend time in the very presence of Jesus? And by the way, what are the disciples thinking? You ever been in a, a ministry situation where life is really, really difficult and challenging and you feel like you've given? Maybe you're at work and you feel like you've given and given and given and you're kind of at the end of your rope and, and you, you can't, you, somebody just asks you that one thing and it just kind of sets you over the edge? I wonder what the disciples would think. We have been out here for, for weeks. We didn't have anything to go on. You sent us out with nothing. Our stomachs are hungry. Are they mad? Are they angry? Are they fearful? It, it doesn't say any of that kind of stuff. I don't know about you, but I would probably be a little bit angry. Once again, my life is being interrupted by all of these people, and they're going to ask me something. You know, what, what happens when we're stretched like that? Don't we kind of get a little bit unhappy? Whether we might treat people, might we look, oh, here comes Clint again. He's going to ask me to do something. I know it. And what do we do? We close our hearts off, don't we? Don't we get frustrated? Moms. Moms. I can say this because we have a bunch of kids. I, 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 my wife, I'm at summer camp, and I've been gone for two weeks, and my wife's taking care of two kids, four kids. Yeah, four kids. <laughs> and and I, I got to imagine, she's like, if one of my kids asks me for another drink of water, I'm going to scream, right? We've all felt that. The boss asks you for one more thing. And, and we're, we're pushed to the limits where what we, we don't have any more resources left. And I think that's what's happened here. And you know what Jesus does? He lands on shore. In the Gospel of Luke, it says this. Come on in. He welcomed them. He welcomed them. He opened his heart and his mind to them. The, the text says this. He had, he had compassion upon them. I mean, what a, what a beautiful description of Jesus. What does he do when you bring your needs to him? No matter what you're going through, he welcomes you. Come to me. Come to me. I, I, I've got the, I, I can help you in that situation. You might not be able, but I can help you out of that. It may take some time. It may not happen the exact way that you might think it's going to happen. But by the way, I will, I will walk through this circumstance with you. I will walk through this trial with you, and I will help you. I will give you what you need if you will just trust me. Notice the text is that the, the word talks about compassion. What's interesting is in, in, in the Gospels, this word is only used for Jesus. It's only used. This kind of compassion is driven by the heart of God. It's not human compassion. 
It's not human concern. It's driven by the creator of the world who entered into this very life experience so that we might be able to lay our burdens and lay our needs before him. This compassion is driven by the idea that God, that Jesus cares more for just, not, not just about our circumstances, but he cares about the human and the value of our souls. Because eventually what he's going to do is he's going to go out and he's going to offer himself as a sacrifice for sin. He's going to go to the cross and he's going to die on the cross for our sins. Why? So that we can be reconciled to a holy God and not be separated. That's ultimately, that, that's the kind of compassion that we have. Those of you that are familiar with St. Augustine, remember he said this, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until we find our rest in thee. Our hearts, your heart is going to be restless until we find our rest, ultimately, in the unique person of Jesus and what he's done for us. And so Jesus lands on shore and what he does, it says this, he has compassion, Why? Because they're like sheep without a shepherd. They're like sheep without a shepherd. Now, I don't know a whole lot about sheeping and shepherding. But I know that, that sheep cannot operate a very long time by themselves. You know, I've read that um, every once in a while you read in the newspaper, you hear in the news, you know, a German shepherd walked 100 miles who was lost, and he walked 100 miles and found his way back home. I've never heard of that about, about a sheep. Uh, this sheep, Willie, walked 100 miles and found his way back to the pasture at Clint Hamilton's house. I, I've never heard of that. Why is that? Because sheep need shepherds, but, but, right? You've got to take them to the water. I, I guess if sheep, they get the wool on them, they'll fall over. What do they do? They just kind of flail them and line. That's a sad sight, you know? They need to be sure. They need to be taken care of. That's the picture that we have here. And by the way, what does Jesus do? He doesn't say, okay, all the people who need healing line up here, and all the people who need to cast out demons, I want you to bring them in. And all the people, have, he, he doesn't line up people like that. What does it say he do? Does. Verse 34, he began to teach them many things. What? What do you mean teaching? No, 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 Jesus, I need to be healed. No, you need to be taught. But Jesus, I need to have this demon kept. No, you need to be taught. I, I want to teach you many things. I want, to, I want to teach you about the kingdom of God. The wonder and the beauty of the kingdom. I want to teach you about repentance. I want to teach you about trusting in me and who I am. I want to teach you about the Old Testament and how the Old Testament ultimately relates to me and how it points to me. He's teaching them many, many things. And I would imagine with the idea in Mark's commentary of them being a sheep without a shepherd, their minds, we don't know that they did this, but their minds could go back to the Old Testament to the thought of what does a sheep without a shepherd look like. Maybe they could think of Numbers chapter 27. Nation of Israel is getting ready to go into the promised land. They've been on a 40-year camping trip. They've been in the desert. God, we've we got to get through this. They're standing across looking into the promised land. God takes Moses up to the top and says, you can see the land, but you can't go in. We know why you can't go in. And all these people are getting ready. The text says there's 600,000 men. So there's over a million people. They're getting ready to go into the promised land. And Moses is concerned that when I leave, these people are going to be like sheep without a shepherd. And so what happened? God appointed Joshua to take care of them and to help them. You go to the book of Ezekiel. Why did God rebuke the shepherds? 
during Ezekiel's time because they were not taking care of God's people. You're not taking care of them. They're like sheep without a shepherd. What's interesting, in the end of the Gospel of Luke, this is after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and Jesus is walking down the road, the Emmaus, and these two guys are with him, and they're talking. And what, what does Jesus do? Jesus takes them what? He takes them back to the Old Testament and begins to explain to them from the Old Testament about how all of these promises, all of these prophecies, find their fulfillment in me. There's no doubt that in this teaching with Jesus, all these people in this crowd, all these could take them back to this idea that look at the Old Testament and look how these promises find their fulfillment in me. Think of Jesus' public ministry. When he's in Nazareth, he goes into Nazareth. They hand him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and he opens it up and he begins to read about the Messiah. And then he hands the scroll back, he sits down, and he says, this scripture has been fulfilled in me. In other words, I am the Messiah. Do you believe that about me? He could take them back to Isaiah chapter 40. Notice what it says, Isaiah chapter 40, about the Messiah. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers his lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. Who is the person sitting in front of them? Who is the person in their midst? It's Jesus the shepherd, the son of God. He's the one who's come to take care of them. And he sees his heart goes out and he has compassion for all of these people. Because they're like sheep without a shepherd. Do you ever feel like you need help? Do you ever feel like that sheep out there where you don't know where you're going? Sometimes maybe you get lost. Yeah, I, I, I've been that way before. You don't know where to go, what to do. I wonder if their minds on the green grass could go back to Psalm 23, where it says this about the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. By the way, that goes on to say, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. That's the picture of the heart of a shepherd who loves and has compassion on his sheep. And Jesus is the one who is the good shepherd who's come to give his life for his sheep. And Jesus knows that. And his heart goes out and he has compassion for all of these people. And, and I want to give you one other thought. And uh, I, I think I need to do this because it's important. I'm wondering if the people are standing around and there's 15,000 of them. They're going, hey, guys, does, does what he's talking about, we've been here for a couple hours and is this ringing any bells with the Old Testament? I mean, is anything going off in your head? Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 18, talks about a prophet who would come who would be what? Better than Moses. There's a prophet coming who's going to be better than Moses. And the rabbis and the religious leaders, they were looking for the prophet who was better than Moses. Remember when John the Baptist 
Remember when he came on the scene and they began to ask him, are you the Messiah? Are you the prophet? And he said, no one's coming after me. I wonder the scuttlebutt's going on. Hey, I wonder if this is the prophet who is to come. And the reason I point that out is because when you go to John's account of this, that's exactly what's happening in the hearts and minds of the people. Hey, wait a minute. We're seeing all of this teaching. We're seeing this thing. We're seeing all of this. Is this the prophet who's to come? And by the way, in John's gospel, guess what they do? It's to do with him. We want to make you king. What they saw and experienced about Jesus in his teaching, his healing, casting out a demon, so resonated that they wanted to come and make him king. And what does it say he does? He streets off and he walks off. Because it wasn't time for him to be king. It wasn't time for him to be king. So how does Jesus meet the needs of the people? He teaches them God's word, and he teaches them about the unique character of himself. The quietness of coming to Jesus, resting in him. Psalm 119, notice what it says. My comfort and my suffering is this. Your promise preserves my life. In the New Testament, 2 Timothy 3 says this. All scripture is God-breathed. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We have a resource in resting and trusting in the word of God, what, to teach us, to train us, to help us to fill our soul about who Jesus is and the wonder and the beauty of who he is. Jesus provides us rest. His compassion teaches us about who he is unique identity. And the last thing I want to end with, and then we're done, is this, that Jesus provides the resources. Jesus provides the resources. Let me just kind of walk through the text with you. I think sometimes that the disciples like us are a little bit hard-headed. They don't get things. You know, they're going through life and they're going through ministry with Jesus and, and they don't really understand Jesus. They don't really understand the people and they don't understand the connection. You know, in, in Mark chapter 1, remember he's, he's done all these miracles and Jesus goes off to, to be by himself and, and they run after him, and they go after him. They say, hey, Jesus, what are you doing here? They're kind of irritated. Jesus, Jesus, what are you doing here? We've got this great group of people. We're ministering. The crowds are growing. What are you doing going off by yourselves? Jesus I, need, Jesus, I need to be alone with my father. They don't get it. In Mark chapter 4, the, the, they're going across, the, the, and the storm comes up. And remember what they accused Jesus? Jesus, you don't care for us. You're sleeping. That wasn't the case at all. See, they have this veiled understanding of who Jesus is and what he would do with them. And so what happens here is getting late. And the disciples are like, wow, they're looking at their watches and they're going, man, it's kind of like me. And they're going, oh, man, it's getting late here. We need to let these guys go. And why? Well, because they all need to go to lunch here soon. They got reservations at the restaurants. And so the disciples come and said, hey, um, Jesus, it's getting kind of late here. Why don't you send the people back to the Back to the villages. It's interesting the way they phrased it. Not back to their home, back to the villages. It makes me think that they've come a long way. Let them go to the villages that are out here and, and it will let them get something to eat because they're probably hungry. They've been here half the day and they're probably really, really hungry. Let's wind this thing down. And Jesus turns to them and he says, verse 37, you give them something to eat. Excuse me? You give them? You give Jesus. <laughs> Eight months of wages here? Come on, you're, not, you're joking, right? Eight months of wages, and you want us to go, you want us to get all this money? Remember, by the way, Jesus, remember you sent us out with a lot of money. I, I, just, I, I don't even have any coins in my pocket here. I don't have any money. We're never going to do this. And, and by the way, where are you going to get 
Where are you going to find someone? Is there going to be a lunch truck around the corner that you can just find and feed all of these people? Of course not. None of that's going on. You give them something to eat. Jesus says, well, go look. So they go out. That had to be a little comical walking around. By the way, do you guys, do you guys have any bread? Do you guys have any fish or anything like that? And they come back and, and like one person has um, some, some loaves of bread and two fish. And I am convinced it's a mom. I'm, no doubt in my mind, it's a mom. A guy, Dad, do we need to take a lunch? No, you don't need to take anything. We're going to be fine. And Mom's going, listen, I want you to put a little bread in there, put a little fish. Could get long. You, there's no doubt in my mind this is a mom who's come prepared. Jesus, do the math. That's a lot of people. By the way, I, I would invite you to go back to the book of Numbers 23. Numbers 23. Remember when Moses, the people come to Moses and they say, um, we, we want some quail, we need some meat. We, we need some meat. And, and, and Moses begins to question God, God, if, if I slaughtered all of the animals and we got all the fish, is there any way that I could feed all these people? And remember what God said? Watch what I'm going to do. Is the Lord's arm too short that I cannot provide for these people? Maybe that's the backdrop for what Jesus is going to do here. Look at verse 39 to 44, and I'm just going to read it. What a picture. What a beautiful picture of grace. Then Jesus directed them to sit all the people down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks, and he broke the loaves. We don't know exactly what he said. A lot of people believe there might have been a, a prayer uh, directed to their heavenly Father, the creator of all, who would give us our daily bread. Some people believe it was something along that lines. He gave thanks for the food, a public thinking. Then he gave the loaves to his disciples, and they set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. And the number of the men who eaten was 5,000. Interesting. A, a basket for each disciple. I, I don't see, and when I looked at all the narratives when, when they came and where they had anything to eat. It's just kind of interesting at the end, they all end up with a basket. They've gone through this journey with Jesus and, and now they end up with this basket and they're all, wow, look what Jesus did. And by the way, where did the, the bread and the fish come from? It came from Jesus. Aren't we looking at a supernatural miracle here? Where he keeps giving it to him and giving it to him and they're out and out. And this is an incredibly powerful miracle here that Jesus is doing and providing for the people. And it says they all ate and were satisfied. Listen, Jesus wants to satisfy your life and he can do it. It may not be in the way that you think he should do it, but Jesus will bring satisfaction to your life. Let me pray and just remind us, Jesus is your rest. By the way, go back and look at Hebrews chapter 3 and 4. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. Have compassion on people, even when it's hard, even when you're stretched. Ask the Lord to give you the resources that you need to be able to help and minister to them. Look to Jesus to satisfy your needs, no matter where you're at. And remember that God can do things that, that no one else in the world can do. God can do things that human beings cannot do. He will provide for us. Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for the way that you love us and the way that you care for us. 
you care for our very souls and that you invite us to go and to rest in you. You invite us to come to you when we're weary and we're burdened. We have all of these things in our lives and we don't know what to do. You invite us to come. And Father, you welcome us. Father, I pray that if there's anyone struggling this morning about their life and relationship, Father, that in this moment right here, that you would fill their hearts with a recognition and understanding that you love them, that you care for them, and you can provide for whatever it is that they would need, Lord. Father, you are the great provider, and we thank you for that. Father, I pray that as we go about our life and business, Lord, as we see people who are separated from you, God, may we have compassion on them. May our heart and souls go out to them, recognizing that we have the message that they need, that we can, in our own way, bring teaching to them about Jesus and what he's done. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.